Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. I want to start with uh, a very interesting exchange, scuffle, uh, whatever you want to call it. This is really aggravating, and it's really frustrating for a lot of different reasons. But uh, at Harvard last night, uh, they brought in all the top Clinton strategists and all of the top, uh, top Trump strategists to sit down and talk about what happened. After the election. This is like a tradition that after an election... They bring in all these spokespeople and strategists and all that stuff. So you got Robbie Mook. Uh, you got Jennifer Palmieri. Joel Benenson. Joel Benenson, our friend. We think Roger Stone was there. I'm pretty sure Roger Stone was there. I, you know, I didn't see his name in any of the stories that I read. But I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure he was there. And, of course, Kellyanne Conway was leading the, uh, the way for Team Trump. And they just sort of hashed it out. What is going on what happened in the election what went wrong and this got contentious really really quickly when jennifer palmieri uh addressed kelly ed conway i would rather lose than win the way you guys did no you wouldn't yes no you wouldn't yes yes that's very clear today no you wouldn't respectfully wow by the way um i don't disagree with kelly ed conway i think that if you're a good politician you will win at just about any cost and if they had to paint Donald Trump as something that he wasn't, which the Clinton campaign or the Trump campaign did to Hillary Clinton, they would have done that. They would have done that. The problem is everything they accused him of was true. I'm going to really hurt myself by saying this, but I'm going to make the sports analogy. Go ahead. Oh, God. My New England Patriots. Here we go. I knew that was no, coming. No, 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 no. I, I knew do, that I, was coming. This is I'm, – I'm hurting myself okay, by saying all right, this, okay, all right? right? So – a lot of folks allege that okay. the Patriots do illegal things. They cheat. To win. They're cheaters. To cheat, right? They're cheaters, right? You go back to Spygate with the video cameras and yeah. the Jets while they were practicing. You look at Deflategate sure. a couple of years ago. What they do is they skirt the rules a bit. Yeah. They do untraditional techniques. Yes. To win. Yes. The I... Trump campaign sort of did the same thing. Yes. Yes, and by the way, and they won, and that's fair. And by the well, I mean it is fair. It, 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 it is fair, but it is gross. It is kind of gross. I don't disagree with that. Okay, so I mean, that, so that is it's actually a good analogy, Jamie. Now you know why everybody hates the Patriots. Yeah, but 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 that, that's that is true. Um, I, that doesn't mean I endorse that or that I think it's the greatest practice, but that is what they did, and we could all see it happening, and. Do I think that the Clinton campaign could have won this? Hell yeah! They couldn't even beat the clown that is Donald Trump. I mean, this is not a serious person, and he's now the president of the United States. Kellyanne Conway and Jennifer Palmieri, Jennifer Palmieri again sort of mixing it up over uh, the the uh, use of white supremacy in this election. 
Excuse me, she said white supremacy. Well, I'm I would actually sorry. like to follow no, up. Sorry, I know it's mentioned a lot on your website too. Do you think I ran a campaign where white supremacists had a platform? Are you going to look me in the face and tell me that? It did. Kellyanne really? did. Oh, and that's how you lost. It did. Do you think you could have just had a decent message for the white working class voters? Okay, now here's here's what's going on here. Is Jennifer Palmieri right? Did they give a platform to the white supremacists in this country? Yes. Yeah, they did. Yes. Yeah, they absolutely did. Yes, they did. Can we sit and focus on that and just complain? Oh, well, you guys did this, and so, uh, no. Well, you've got to reconfigure. You've got to figure out where you go from here. They just don't. Get it. They don't understand why they lost. They did not lose because they gave a platform to white supremacists. There are not enough white supremacists in this country to sway an election. That is not why they lost. Did it hurt them? Yeah, it did. Did they lose the campaign because they gave a platform to white supremacists? Absolutely not. Don't try and explain away the mistakes that the Clinton campaign made in this election. Or we're going to lose every election between here and the end of the world. You've got to open your eyes and pay attention to what happened. This is the only time that I'm ever going to say this. But this next clip from Kellyanne Conway hits the nail on the head. 200 counties that President Obama won and Donald Trump just won, you think that's because of what you just said or because people aren't ready for a woman president? Really? How about it's Hillary Clinton? She doesn't connect with people. How about they have nothing in common with her? There you go. That's it. Jamie, play that whole clip one more time. Listen. Listen as hard as you can. 200 counties that President Obama won and Donald Trump just won, you think that's because of what you just said or because people aren't ready for a woman president? Really? How about it's Hillary Clinton? She doesn't connect with people. How about they have nothing in common with her? That's it. That's it. Open your eyes. That's what happened. Did misogyny play a role? Absolutely. It was a grotesque display of how horrible... Men can treat women and get away with it. True. Did they cater to white supremacists and racists in this country? Yes. That is true. Did Hillary Clinton fail to register with voters from state to state to state to state? Yes. That is also true. We have got to open our eyes. If you are one of the people who fought as hard as you could for Hillary Clinton to get elected, and to quote Joe Biden, God love you if you did, you've got to own up to the fact that that campaign did not work, that candidate did not work, and moving forward, We have got to run a campaign closer to the one that Bernie Sanders ran, closer to the one in terms of message and of of the populist message that Donald Trump ran, aside from the whole, you know, grabbing women by their genitals, but a good, strong economic message that connects with voters. Bernie Sanders was out there pushing for a $15 minimum wage. Hillary Clinton couldn't even say that. She's a, she was the Democratic candidate for president. 
I'm not I, I'm not trying to dance on the grave of Hillary Clinton, but for crying out loud, people, if we want to win an election again, ever, ever, give up on the idea that Hillary Clinton ran a good campaign. Get get that out of your head. Remove that notion from your brain. She did not run a good campaign. Stop defending it. Open your eyes. Understand what happened is she got beaten by maybe the worst, most uninformed, dullest, dumbest president we've ever had in this country. I'm not making fun of him. I don't think Donald Trump can read. I'm not joking. Hillary Clinton couldn't beat him. So let's stop making excuses for what happened for Hillary Clinton's campaign. Let's just get rid of it. And moving forward, embrace the progressive politics that make the Democrats the party that I'm proud to be a member of. Because economic populism is a language that was written by Democrats. Helping out the middle class is a language that was written by Democrats. We just forgot how to speak our own language. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 33 minutes past the hour on a Friday, December 2nd. Uh, Here we go with me, your guest host today, Peter Ogburn. I am joined by Jonathan Levy. A uh, good friend of the show. Follow him on Twitter at Wolf Levy. And I'm so excited to welcome executive director of the Sierra Club, Michael Brune, in studio. Uh, make sure you go get everything you need to from them at sierraclub.org. Check them out. Stay up to date on all things uh, environmental issues. Uh, you're really going to want to use them as a source for information for the next at least four years. Uh, Michael, thanks for coming in, man. Thanks for having me, Peter. Well, here we are. Uh, the election is over. We now know Donald Trump will be our president. Um, are you guys freaking out? Let's take a moment on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's still. I still have, honestly, I still have pause before I say it. If it wasn't the time that it is, I would be doing a shot when you said that. I know. It really, It pains me. It actually hurts. It physically hurts. No reason why we can't. Yeah, yeah right? It's... I like your style. It's seven thirty. I like your <laughs> style. I've, I've had shots earlier. Yeah, Five that is true. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, are you guys um, like super concerned? Well, let me put it this way: What are you most fearful of in the Trump presidency for when it comes to environmental issues? We are fearful of the Trump presidency, and obviously the coordination with the White House, with growing number of climate denying state Republican governors, uh, growing number of climate denying state legislators, uh, you know, what seems to be uh, deeply conservative and increasingly conservative Supreme Court and all of this working in tandem to reward big polluters across the country. Yeah, I mean, that you, you bring up the states, the courts. What is, I mean, is the Trump presidency what we should be fearing here? Or is it the fact that the state legislatures are at an imbalance we've never seen before? Governors are at an imbalance we've never seen before? What is, what's the most scary <laughs> thing of this horror show for you? <clears throat> Well, this is I, a great thing to do first in the morning, first yeah. in the morning right? Yeah, this is a real wake-up <laughs> guys are rough. Uh, I, look, yeah, it, it, it clearly heads and shoulders above anything else is the Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can be honest with ourselves and, and acknowledge the fact that on November 7th and the morning of November 8th before the election, things were pretty rough for a lot of people. 
you know, we did have pretty severe economic inequality. The racism that was in this country and the misogynism that existed in this country was profound, and it put a lot of people in some challenging situations. Mm -hmm. But we did have in the White House someone who uh, more often than not fought on the side of uh, what is good and trying to push hard, at least on climate change and environmental protection, even if he didn't go as far as uh, what was needed all the time. Now we have someone who, when he is elected, will be the only, the only head of state that denies that climate change is real, and who Chinese has Chinese hoax he calls it. I believe. Chinese hoax, yes. He never uh, said that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so, he did say that, by the way. He tweeted. He, well, it. he tweeted it. That's. Yeah. Did he say it? Mm-hmm. I guess that's up for he, debate. He, I, I actually believe he does speak out his tweets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, we're, we have to worry about what the what the presidency in con, in conjunction with uh, governors and Congress is going to do. Mm-hmm. And there'll be lots of things that we have to fight back. So you look at uh, t- talk to me about the progress that we've made in the last eight years. Uh, I, I guess it's a low bar to have a president who um, believes in climate change, which we've had. <laughs> uh, but Barack Obama actually did some really sort of monumental. Yep. Uh, changes to try and help with climate change. Tell us a little bit about what he did and, and if those are in danger. Sure. <clears throat> and I'll, and I'll uh, accentuate the fact that he, he did a lot and he was supported by a big, diverse, growing movement, which matters a lot. Um, but what we have achieved in the last few years is overall, the United States has cut its carbon pollution more than any other country. Uh, we have dramatically increased the fuel efficiency of our vehicles. Two rules, two EPA rules signed by Obama cut carbon pollution by 10%, just wow. those two things alone. That, that's an amazing thing to to look at and also look at the fact that unemployment has been going down and the economy yes. has been growing, right. which we were always told right. for years that you can't do both. Yep. You either protect the planet or you protect jobs. Exactly. And so during the Obama administration, for the first time in U.S. history and globally for the first time in world history, that's what happened. We divorced economic growth from pollution. And we found a way to grow the economy to create millions of jobs in the U.S. and cut the amount of pollution that we're producing. Not just carbon or methane, but uh, air and water pollution across a variety of different categories. We have helped to secure the retirement of about 240 coal plants in the U.S., which are being replaced by clean energy. Uh, More than a million homes now have solar up on their rooftops. There's more than half a million electric vehicles on the road. We have been able to cut the amount of mercury pollution that uh, is a potent brain poison by more than 90%. All of this was done, uh, again, with a a Congress that uh, for the last six years of his administration didn't want to take action. And uh, much of it, not all of it, but much of it will be under threat uh, Mm -hmm. starting next January. So are you you saying that a rational fear of the Trump administration is that they are pro-brain poison? You know, there, there was a whole, um, like in the days after the election, there were a lot of people who said, well, let's just wait and see what Trump is going to do. Let's just get, let's give him a chance. Let's wait and see. Mm-hmm. Are you in that crowd or are you in the crowd that, well, he's shown us exactly where he's yeah. going to go, so we've got to start no. taking action now? No, no, no. I was never in the wait and see category. Uh, Good. The president-elect gave us a lot of evidence of what he would do. Yeah. Uh, and then just look at his appointments, right? You, just, you don't have to go past That's Steve Bannon. Yeah. You don't have to... No. 
So, so look at let's look at climate change. So yep. there are some, uh, maybe a couple of my colleagues here and there, who will say, look, that he, in a New York Times interview, if you look at it, there is this one half sentence where he said, you know, I have an open mind. So let's let's neglect the last 18 months right. where at every opportunity he said that climate change doesn't exist. Let's neglect the fact that the person who is appointed to lead the transition for the EPA is the one of the leading climate deniers, and every single appointee so far have been climate deniers. But let's look at that one sentence in the New York Times interview one Friday afternoon, and maybe he does have an opportunity to pivot on this it, one. It is, amazing how, it is amazing how people cling to that interview, too, also ignoring the fact that he has a personality disorder where he needs to be loved, especially by the New York Times, yeah. and was literally just saying whatever he thought the people in that room would yeah. Would like. It, w we are far too willing to throw out too much, and that's why it's great to have folks like you actually fighting for this and, uh, you know, trying to stop it. Can we? Yeah, of course we can. Of course we can. So we have uh, we have a good track record to look back on under the Bush administration, even before that with the Reagan administration. There are ample opportunities to fight back in the courts. There's ample opportunities to fight back in the marketplace because right now on climate change, increasingly most of the business community is aligning towards climate solutions. Mm -hmm. There are dozens of companies who have made commitments to go all the way to 100% clean energy. There are dozens of mayors now who have made commitments to go to all the way to 100% clean energy off gas, off coal, off oil, off nuclear power. Um, and increasingly, the a majority, a super major, a super majority of the American public believes in climate change. So, we can fight back in the marketplace, in the courts. We can fight back in Congress to hold the Democratic firewall, and we're definitely going to fight back in the streets to show that there is uh, an angry majority of the American public that's not going to tolerate all these rollbacks or even attempted rollbacks. Donald Trump promised us, as candidate Trump, that he would get rid of the EPA. He would abolish the EPA, just get rid of it. Um, is that doable? Maybe I'm being naive, but like, is is that something that is on your radar? Well, uh, when he takes office, we'll st we're still going to have this thing called a constitution. Right? <laughs> Say what? Yeah. So uh, has, has, read does up he on know it. this? Get ready. <laughs> he might not know that yet. Might be an inconvenience. Uh, look, so to to do anything like that, to take to to put into force any of the things that he's talked about, repealing Obamacare. Uh, um, taking all these uh, lots of actions across the spectrum, he's going to need congressional support. Mm -hmm. He does have Mitch McConnell. He does have Paul Ryan. They do have majorities in Congress. They're both tree huggers, right? Uh, oh, big time, big, right? Big oh, yeah. Long time. Huge. 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 Um, so uh, those are going to be important fights, and we're going to need to make sure that the 48 Democrats and couple independents who caucus with them hold the line and resist all of these up, all, all of these rollbacks. And then the the Democrat, the Republicans who are up for election in Nevada, in Maine, and other in other states, uh, who um, are going to face voters, they need to vote the right way. Uh, Burgess Everett is with us. He's executive director, or excuse me, I'm sorry, the rather congressional reporter for Politico, our good friend, uh, Burgess Everett. Follow him on Twitter, at Burgess Everett. Uh, Burgess, you have an article for Politico, politico.com, uh, about Obamacare. Mm -hmm. Hot the, topic these days. Apparently, right? Uh, the GOP and how they're going to uh, repeal and replace or repeal and delay. What are we looking at? How's this going to play out? I mean... The Republicans are united on one thing, and, and that's what they where they've been at for about six years, which is repeal. And, and 
the mm-hmm. replace thing is sort of where Trump has thrown them a bit of a curveball. You know, he's been making he's been making so few media appearances before this tour that we were all sort of parsing over this 60 Minutes interview, and that's where he says he wants to keep, uh, you know, the the ban on denying people with pre-existing conditions and, and allowing people to stay on their parents' health insurance until 26. Mm-hmm. And so that suggests you're keeping these popular parts of Obamacare, and now you're not really just getting into a repeal. You're getting into a, well, how do we, you know, this is going to be a Trump care, basically. Right. And so with that said, Republicans on Capitol Hill don't really have it together on this in terms of how to replace it. And so I've been talking to senior Republicans, and the plan right now appears to be pass a, a bill repealing it that does not go into effect for as long as three years. It could be two, it could be one, but three is the the, the number that I'm hearing from the Senate. And the idea would be you set this deadline, sort of an arbitrary deadline, and this will force them to come up with an alternative simply with the pressure. And, you know, it's the same thing we see with these debt ceiling or government shutdown deadlines. You know, Congress waits until the last minute and everybody takes a tough vote and they roll a huge bill together and try to solve the problem that way. So three years seems like a weird number to me because it puts it right before an election. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no. Or even two. Even two would put it, you know, right in the middle of the midterms. Yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, by the way, we have which, sort of established that, you know, there's a year of lame duck presidency with what they did with Obama with a Supreme Court pick, right? Right. Like, if that's the new standard, well, we shouldn't let Donald Trump get anything done in the last year of his first term. Right, because that's the standard that they put. I, I'm a big fan of not letting Donald Trump get anything done. Period. period. Well, you're gonna as a as a Democrat, you're gonna need to t- retake one of the chambers of Congress. And, <laughs> working on that, and that's not gonna be the Senate. I've I've got to sue, and no, it sure isn't. So so I mean, and, 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 and it, it, it's it's also not gonna be the House. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, and but like if there is an opportunity for Democrats to, to seize one of these gears of Congress, it's going to be the House. And I would think, you know, starting next year, you're going to probably hear from Nancy Pelosi and top people in the House Democrats that there is a path to this if people get mad enough at Trump. And I don't think that's totally wrong. Uh, I mean, you know, gerrymandering is going to make it difficult, obviously, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and keeping these these leaders in place maybe doesn't invigorate the base but you know I, I i cover the senate i look at the senate map there's simply no path to majority in fact it's going to be about how do we how do we not suffer devastating losses that gives republicans a filibuster proof majority uh, absolutely the, the and gerrymandering's made the house almost impossible to touch at this point too right. as you bring up it's there's a great book by the way we talked to david daly in here the name of the book is rat eft um, where he talks all about how gerrymandering has screwed Democrats for generations to yeah, come. It's right. The the most important date for fixing that for Democrats is 2020. Right. And you have to take back a huge number of state legislatures and governorships, and we're a long way from that, and we find ourselves behind it there. So it's it's not just the Senate, the House. It is also the state legislatures. It's the governor's races. We have to be, as Democrats across the board, focused on all of that at the same time fighting against Trump and what he and his administration is going to do. It's a it's a steep hill. So so if you have if you have uh, this delay, say, for two years, this idea is you have maybe as many as 10 competitive Democratic Senate seats in 2018. And the Republicans think, you know, you can repeal Obamacare with this reconciliation method, which means all Republicans can do it. But to replace it, you're going to need 60 votes. And so the Republican thinking on this goes that if you set this deadline, particularly if it's near an election where you have all these Democrats up for re-election, they're going to come to the table, play ball on writing a new health care law, basically. Mm. So that's how these two things interact. Can, can you not, and this is 
pure ignorance on my part, but can you can the Republicans not do what Democrats did and through reconciliation actually put pieces in place? They, I mean, they could definitely pursue that strategy. They seem to think that right now they're saying we're not going to do what the Democrats did, and what that means is, and and Democrats initially passed Obamacare with 60 votes and then cleaned it up with reconciliation right. because they had now lost that. They Senate lost to Scott seat. Brown. Uh, right, so they no longer had the 60 votes. So right now the the plan that Republicans are laid out is repeal with all Republican votes, replace with 60 vote threshold votes on not one big health care bill, but a series of smaller health care bills, which sounds like it'll get bogged down and potentially be a disaster because uh, I think the only way you can get all these different factions of the Republican Party and maybe the Democratic Party on board with a health care bill is to have something that everybody likes, you know, like something you can hold your nose and, and vote for. And, and that was why maybe Obamacare worked uh, and, and why this sort of step-by-step process may be very difficult to do, particularly as you get closer to an election. Congressional reporter for Politico, Burgess Everett, is with us in studio. Burgess, let me ask you a question, because uh, Nancy Pelosi... Um, staved off a challenge from, mm-hmm. from Tim Ryan for uh, her, her leadership position. The new leadership team for the Democrats have an average age of 76 yep. years old. Um, is that going to be a problem for them moving forward when you have to have, I think most Democrats will admit there has to be some sort of a shakeup in leadership from the bottom up. I do I do think it is, and... You know, so you have two younger members, Chris Van Hollen from Maryland, who just mm-hmm. was elected to the Senate. A lot of people thought that guy could be a future Speaker of the House, sure. right? Uh, and now you have yesterday Javier Becerra from California. Yeah. Um, he's going to be the Attorney General of California. He's, yeah. he's leaving the House. And, you know, a lot has been made about the fact that these are two of the younger people that, you know, a couple years ago we thought, maybe these are the future of the Democratic Party in the House, and they've left. And part of it is you have a traffic jam at the yeah. top. You have Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and Jim Clyburn. They're all over 70. They've been in the House leadership for a 10 years, a, a more than 10 years. Uh, and, you know, I, I do think this Tim Ryan challenge has sort of brought this civil war a little bit into into the House. And, and I don't, I mean... So how does Nancy? So if Democrats want to take back the House, how do they sell it? You know, yeah. make Nancy Pelosi speaker. Right. I, I don't know that that's I don't the think best work. message. And by the way, I think all the names you just mentioned, Steny Hoyer and Jim Clyburn and Nancy Pelosi, have all been very, very strong and reliable. And I think that they didn't get enough credit for what they did. I agree. While mm-hmm. Barack Obama was president, but at the same time, optics, as they say, are everything. I, I think you're overestimating what people actually see. In oh, terms I know. I don't Democratic think so. leadership. I think Nancy Pelosi has become such. I think you a... can remove her as from leadership, and she'd still show up in every single Republican ad. Sure, she's already there. Yeah. Um, I think this is about right now having some leadership that knows what it's doing. They're about their number one job right now is to stop the Trump agenda yeah, every yeah. way they can, and having That's folks fair. who actually understand the system That's fair. matters. Yeah, um, right. So th- that would be my counterpoint to that. And you have Chris Van Hollen. It's not like he's disappeared from politics. No. He is gone. He's going to he's he's the Senate, the and he's going to run the DSCC, right. you know, the the political arm of the Democrats in the Senate. Becerra's because nobody you, else wanted to do it. <laughs> <Right>. I, I <laughs> that's I, a thankless job. It, it is a thankless job, but it, I think that's why it's kind of great. Like, yeah. everyone Expectations knows are so right. yeah. are, bo- are rock bottom. And he did a fabulous job when he re- led the DTRIP. He really um, did. Uh, he, but you have, or excuse me, the uh, DNC. Um, 
No, the D-trip. D-trip. The D-trip, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The acronyms, man. <laughs> um, like, he did a good job one cycle, and then the next cycle they lost the house. So, yeah. and, and and a lot of that stuff is out of these the, the chairman's hands, but they get blamed for it anyway. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Van Newkirk is with us. Van R. Newkirk II. Uh, he is staff writer for The Atlantic. Uh, listen to me. I tell you to follow a lot of people on Twitter. I don't mean it more than I mean it right now. Follow Van on Twitter at Five Fifths. It's one of the best uh, Twitter feeds out there. Must follow. Uh, Van, I want to talk to you a little bit um, about... A, a debate that Democrats are having in the wake of uh, Hillary Clinton's loss to Donald Trump. Um, identity politics, which is something that uh, Democrats have run on and run with for a long, long time. Um, and now some people are saying, are wondering whether or not that's a really smart thing to do. And You had some really great writing on this at The Atlantic, theatlantic.com. Talk to me about it a little bit. Well, yeah. So one of the things I was I was pointing out in uh, the piece, I wrote about the Moral Mondays movement in yeah. North Carolina mm-hmm. and how that's really maybe the one bright spot for Democrats in one of the worst and most disastrous elections ever for them. Yeah. And I was wondering, what's this identity politics? What's it mean? You know, we had the column from, from Mark Lilla, which everybody at the end of identity liberalism, everybody was talking about. Um, and first of all, it doesn't follow what exactly identity politics is. You know, he says uh, people are tired of sick and tired of hearing about, you know, liberals damn bathroom bills. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. But HB2 in North Carolina, the bathroom bill, the bathroom bill. The, the one, the definitive bathroom bill. Is what got McCrory out of there. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> they rallied around it. And it seems, and actually if, if you look at Ta-Nehisi Coates' Twitter feed from last night, yes. he's pointing this out where he says, a lot of identity issues, and we're saying class should supersede identity when we make this argument, right? But a lot of identity yeah. issues are inherently economic. He's, he's, right. I believe he makes the point that they're all economic. They're all economic, yeah. yeah. They are completely intertwined. Yeah. There are a few issues you can think about that have legislation around them that are not economic. Well, he makes the point that we call, when we're talking about white people, we call it economic issues, and we when we are talking about anyone else, we call it identity politics. Exactly. And so you have trans people in Charlotte who, for whom a bathroom bill directly affects their, their finances, their ability to live, and for whom a Trump presidency is going to mean they may not be able to pay for health care right. services. Yeah, exactly. Right? That, that I think, it cuts right to the heart of the issue. And I, I think that um, a couple of weeks ago, Bernie Sanders wrote about this. And I, I think that some of what he wrote was lifted out of context. But I, I also think that he said you can have both. Like you can appeal to these voters and you can talk to people and talk about econ- economic issues and economic anxiety. And and also that is I, the identity politics is, is part of that. You can talk and chew gum at the same time. I, I think what Sanders said, though, is was a little 
too dismissive of actually talking. And I know Peter gets upset when you defame Bernie Sanders in any form or fashion. Uh, no, I, absolutely but, not. <laughs> I, I'm not a Bernie guy. But it, I, it's it, it. There is. There is a, a problem where we have where we go, no, we can't talk about identity politics. We have to talk about economic issues. No, we ha- can't talk about economic issues. We have to talk about a- uh, identity politics. And I think what uh, what Mr. Coates was saying and, you know, the point of what we saw with the intersectionality in uh, North Carolina with the Moral Mondays movement was, which is a harder thing to say than I thought it was going to be, you got it, is that they are inextricably linked. Yeah. And yes. you have to but you have to discuss all sides of it too. Right. And I, I think I do think Sanders's comments were taken way out of co- uh, yeah. context by people on both sides of the argument. True. So Lilla in his column sort of misquotes Sanders as well. Yeah. Uh, but Sanders what he misses there is he's saying, you know, we need more than a person who is of your same identity yeah. to lead. And that that's mm-hmm. I guess that's a fair point, but I think it maybe dismisses the idea for people who have never had representation that looked or sounded like them or from was from where they were from those are things that are maybe of equal importance to uh, class concerns mm-hmm. you know we just came from eight years of the obama presidency where people who had never seen you know north carolina had never seen an elected official who looked like them yeah and voted for finally got the vote for one for president that's a big thing huge yeah Huge, and the and the women in my life have taken the election way harder than the men in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, to see the the closest that a woman has ever come to being president uh, lose like that has was been devastating for I, the I, women I know. I think the other side of that coin also is to not just see a, a woman lose, but also see a man who is talked about sexual assault. So oh, no, casually. I, 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 I'm not trying to dismiss that. No, I know, but I'm, I'm really not. Oh, I, no, I know you're not. No, no, I'm no, just no. saying yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it plays into both of it. It wasn't Absolutely. just a rejection of someone like them. It was an acceptance of yeah. something that was abhorrent. Right. And, and, I, and I totally get why that's so hard for people. But here's the here, here's the here's the, the the real question is, where do we go from here? Right. How do we put this into practice? Well, yeah, I think the first thing to consider is how much this election actually is a repudiation of identity, of mm-hmm. minority issues, because actually my sense is that it's not really. Uh, people, you know, there's going to be a short story about some guy counting the popular vote in an apocalyptic wasteland when nobody else exists. <laughs> we, we still keep counting the popular vote. I think we're doing a little bit too much of that. But but the fact still remains yeah. that this was one of the most diverse coalitions of voters in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we had managed to turn out... A really small amount of minorities in some other counties in North Carolina and Michigan, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. And Pennsylvania. This looks like an entirely different race. Totally different race. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people want to throw out the entire thing, yeah. which doesn't seem like the, the right approach to me. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I think it's good to re-examine the entire thing and just where do we stand, how did this play into it, and just acquaint yourself with it, I think, more. But mm-hmm. certainly not throw everything out the, out the window. It, so, to go back to the discussion of Moral Mondays, which for folks who don't know, you can probably do a better job, as you've just wrote about it, than I can, but it, it is a coalition of a variety of different uh, disenfranchised groups who've come together to protest the bad lines in North Carolina and the ridiculous laws that have been passed over and over again. It, is that replicable? I believe it is. Uh, if you and look how? at if you look at the moral movement, it's easier to say than moral yes, Monday. <laughs> if you look at that movement, I'd say 
only about half of that movement is registered Democrats. Mm. There's a good amount of people who are libertarians. There's a strong libertarian movement around Raleigh mm. and eastern North Carolina. There's a lot of registered Republicans. There's a lot of Green Party and people to the left. And, and so they, I think the demographics of what they do in the coalition they build actually map really well to the demographics of America. So, and what they did was from the outset, they said health care, and this is from the beginning, before we had the voting rights law, health care is a moral issue. Mm-hmm. Health care, uh, the fact that we have racial inequalities, these are things that all come from the same exact place as to why people who worked in textiles mills yeah. don't have jobs. Yeah. And they, and from the beginning, the absolute beginning of that movement, you know, they had members of the church, they had people in the white working class, they had people who were, they had really hardcore radical black activists working together. And that's exactly, I think, what you can do in a play in, in the Rust Belt, for example. There, there should be no reason why you can't build a vibrant coalition around the issues happening in Flint and in Pontiac, right? There, there's, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no reason yeah. why why people shouldn't be able to do that, and why you shouldn't be able to build around environmental racism and justice, and uh, also sort of more concrete issues of uh, straight economics, offshoring, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Peter Ogburn and Jonathan Levy sitting in for Bill Press. Breaking news. The Labor Department reported that the economy added 178,000 jobs in November. That is up from 142,000 in October. Unemployment was at 4.6%. That is down from October's 4.9%. We cannot let anyone forget when Trump claims to have done all these great things that he was handed an economy that had 4.6% unemployment. That has to be repeated endlessly. 4.6. He, he is going to take credit. Yep. We cannot let him. On that note, we say have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in. Jonathan, thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure. Have a good weekend. This is The Bill Press Show.